Tonight, I want to talk to you about something um, I think that's very um, important in you being able to function in the gifts that God has placed in you. And that is um, living out of your true self. Okay? Living out of your true self. Now, I want to just make a little disclaimer here. Okay? So, um, there's the... A lot of this stuff is, um, I went to a conference a couple years ago and, um, and the guy was teaching on this. So this is not original. Okay. This is not originally from me, but this is something that I've been, um, walking in and applying to my life. And whenever I went to that conference and I got all of this information, it has really made a huge impact on my life and my personal walk, my, um, my journey um, for self-worth, self-value, um, self-definition, that kind of thing. And it has, um, it is, it has helped me um, to just be more secure in who I am in Christ. I'm still on that journey. But, you know, whenever I f- hear stuff like this, I want to share the wealth. Okay? I don't want to just keep it to myself. So um, I know in the past people have come up to me and said that this message you shared was really good. You should write a book on it. There's a book on it already. So in case you're wondering, there's a book on it. So again, um, living out of your true self, I want to ask you a question. If you could think of one or two words to describe yourself, what would those words be? Jot them down on your paper. One or two words to describe yourself. What would those words be? Okay, now some of you may have thought of words right away. Some of you may need to get back with me tomorrow. That's okay, too. But just keep thinking about it. Some of you may have written a positive word or phrase. Some of you may have written negative words or phrases. Everybody sees themselves differently. Well, we probably all see ourselves very similarly, and we just don't realize it. But we'll figure that out in a minute, right? What is my true self? What does it mean to live out of my true self? My true self is who I really am deep inside. Who I am, who I really am deep inside. It's the part of me that is hidden in Christ. That is your true self. Who I really am deep on the inside, the part of me that is hidden in Christ. There's a scripture that I want to read to you, and it's in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. It says, For you created my inmost being. Look at that very first sentence right there. You created my inmost being. That's where my true self is. Who I am, really am deep inside my inmost being, the part of me that is hidden in Christ. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You know, we identify ourselves by one of two definitions, sometimes a mixture of both, okay? The first definition comes from God. It is the definition of who I am in relation to Christ and the truth that he has laid out in his word. For example, what does God's word say about me? What does the truth of his word um, say about me in relation to, to Christ? That I am a child of God. I was created by God and designed in his image. I am loved and valued by God. I am God's workmanship. You can find all of these things in the word of God. This is what God has, this is how God has defined you. This is what God has to say about you. Basically what it means, it's reading in me who I am in Christ. That's your true self. Reading inside of you who you are in Christ. Looking into the innermost being of yourself and finding Christ there and what he has to say about you. Your true self. The second definition comes from the world and the culture around us. Basically, it's letting others define me. And this definition is determined by multiple things like what I can or cannot do, my performance, how I look, my success, what kind of friends I have, how many friends I have, what I have believed about myself because of my experiences. The second definition is basically reading in others who I am. The first definition is reading in me who I am in Christ. The second definition is reading in others who I am. You know, someone said this and it's so true. We spend way too much time trying to read in others who we are. We spend way too much time trying to read in others who we are. Here's the problem with that. It breeds things in us, like a performance-driven life. Comparison. Insecurity. Self-hatred. Self-judgment. Shame. A projected self. A projected self is being who I want others to think that I am. Comparison. Think about comparison. What does comparison do? Really, comparison does not help us. You know, our goal as Christians, Jesus wants us to connect with the body, to connect with each other. 
But when we compare, we can't connect. When we compare ourselves to others, we can't connect with them. Because we're too busy keeping them on the outside trying to figure out how we can perform to be like them or not be like them. Comparison is an enemy. So this is the problem with allowing the world and the culture to define us. Now here's the benefits of allowing God to define us. All right, this is cool. When we allow God to define us, we are free to redefine what is most important and focus our time and energy on that rather than staying in the mirror for an hour we can spend an hour with a friend encouraging them right we are free to redefine what is most important and focus our time and energy on that when we allow god to define us we can be secure in who god has made me to be and still be able to stay connected with others Meaning, I am connected to you, but you don't define me. I can be connected to you, but what you say or do does not define me. What you say or do about me does not define me. I can still be connected to you even though you don't like me. I can stay connected to you because you don't define me. Your words don't define me. Your opinions of me don't define me. Yeah? Whenever I allow God to define me, I am free to celebrate others while being secure in, in who I am. Don't you find that's difficult to celebrate when other women can do certain things? Insecurity will keep us from that. But when we allow God to define us, we can celebrate other people's accomplishments, abilities, gifts, looks, we can celebrate them and still be secure in who we are in Christ because we've allowed God to define us. And we are free to live out of our true self. Live out of our true self, who God says I am, okay? The projected self lives out of who I want others to think I am, the true self says, this is who I am in Christ, and it's okay. It's wonderful. All right? Are you following? Okay. Okay, so here's the reality for many of us, probably most of us, because it's been a reality for me, that while my definition of who I am in Christ is grounded in truth, the way the world has defined me can be more real. Think about that. I know what God's truth says about me, but the things that the world has offered me have been more real to me. And so then those definitions get buried in my heart. Those mindsets, those beliefs about me get buried in my heart because they're more real. You know, we know the truth, but what's real affects us here. All right? And this is why. Because experiences are real. When you go through tough times, those things are real. Yeah? We have a lack of uh, positive role models. That's a real deal. It's hard to find a positive role model. I mean, am I right? And negative words that are spoken into us 
can feel real. We know it's not truth, but it feels real because it wounds us. And so that's why, even though we know that, um, that who we are in Christ is grounded in truth, that the way the world defines us can be real because of all of these things are real to us. Now, here's the truth. Jesus wants me to be so secure in him that no matter how you define me, I can remain secure in Christ. That's easier said than done, right? Look, I have had, I can, I, I need to hold up more fingers than this. But just this week, I have had this many plus opportunities to allow the world to define me. And I told Todd, it's only Tuesday. Like, can I just stay in the house, locked up in the house until Friday comes? But Jesus wants me to be so secure in him that no matter how you define me, how experiences define me, how... um Negative words spoken at me define me. I still remain secure in Christ because I know who I am. There's a scripture in John 10.10. We know this scripture, right? It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants wants us to, to have life to its fullest. But we can't do it if we're insecure, if we're not living out of our true self, right? That's not a full life. Now, we think, yeah, life is full of, and list a few things. But you know what? I feel like even tough times, even those things, God wants us to live to the fullest. Because he uses those things to speak to us and to minister to us and to grow us, right? So, He wants us to have life to the fullest. So how do we make this truth become real? How do we make the truth of living a full life become real? Tonight I want to give you three ways to position yourself for the Lord's work of awakening your true self. You know, there's some things that have happened to us. There's some things that have... um, Um, held our true self hostage. And so tonight, I just want to give you some positions, some some ways that you can position yourself so that um, the Lord can work in you and awaken your true self. All right? The first one. Position yourself to fall upward in times of suffering and trial so God can touch you at the level of your true self. Position yourself to fall upward in times of suffering and trial so that God can touch you at the level of your true self. Now, we all know that nobody is exempt from going through trials and suffering. Has anybody in here never been through a trial? Please raise your hand. Turn the lights up. Has anybody in here not suffered? 
All right, so we all know that we all go through trial and suffering. You know, there are things in our control that are most comfortable for us. Things like protective attitudes, performance, perfectionism, pretense, wearing masks. Those things are in our control, right? Those things are my things that I'm comfortable with. What are yours? <laughs> but there are things that no matter how hard we try are out of our control. For example, aging. So who in here is at this age now where they have to use their math skills to try to figure out how old they are? Aging is out of our control. Gravity is out of our control. <laughs> you know, we could prolong it. But look, I mean, when your elbows are sagging, I mean, there's a problem, you know. That's out of your control. Gravity is out of our control. Trials and suffering are out of our control. But listen, these are the things that give us the opportunity to fall upward. Because they're out of our control. They give us the opportunity to fall upward. Taking the posture of falling upward can be frightening and painful. Because it forces us to move away from what's most comfortable with us. Right? For example, as you all know, my dad had a seizure on October 31st of last year that caused significant damage to his body. His entire pelvis shattered. Both hips came out of the socket. His right femur was broken at the joint. His left shoulder was shattered. His arm came out of the socket. His tendon detached from one seizure. He was in the hospital critically for weeks. He had three surgeries in 36 hours. He had to lay in bed for three months before he could learn to walk again. His therapist told us that a person loses 2 to 3% of your muscle mass every day that you lay in bed. He was in bed for three months. So basically, my dad is starting all over again. He went from a very, very strong man to a very weak man physically. They say his recovery will take a year, and it has been, um, you know, very slow, painful grueling process, but he is getting a little better every day. Thank God. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I would consider that a trial that my family is going through, something that was out of our control. And this trial has definitely given, given me the opportunity to fall upward. It has redefined what matters most in my life like family, relationships, love, 
understanding, patience, forgiveness, healing and restoration, and most importantly, dependence on God. You know, falling upward positions us to look to God rather than others to see what he has to say about a situation and about us. We are limited in what we can see in others, right? I mean, we can encourage each other as much as we can. Like, I can encourage you as much as I can. But God can see into the depths of what's on the inside of us where our true self lies. You know, I have a perspective, and I can encourage you as much as I can, but God sees way deeper than I can see in your life. You know, change can only occur at the level of our true self. We say all the time, I want to change, I want to change, but change can only occur at the level of our true self, and only God can reach that far down. And I want to take some time to read a scripture to you. It's Psalm 139. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And now I want to drop down to verse 23. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, not only has this trial redefined what mattered most in my life, it also allowed me to see behaviors in myself that were keeping my true self hostage and hindering my spiritual and emotional maturity. Things like self-pity. You know, sometimes these things, these negative things can keep our true self hostage. And yeah, we want to be, you know, we want to be free. We want to be secure. But sometimes there are behaviors within us that need to move out before our true self can actually have room to come out, right? And so, yes, this 
this trial, this situation showed me a lot of self, that I had a lot of self-pity. I have a father, a 77-year-old man, laying in bed in critical condition, and I'm feeling sorry for myself because I hadn't gotten any sleep that night. Self-pity, selfishness, self-righteous attitudes. Notice all the self-words. You know, all these things, self-pity and all that, when you feel sorry for yourself, it really is just a camouflage version of pride. Because it's always about I, 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 me, me, me. And so sometimes God got to get pride out of our lives so that our true self can manifest itself. So falling upward requires three questions. Number one, when you're going through a trial and you're falling upward, God, what do you see? What do you see in the scheme of things of this trial? What do you see? It's not about what I see. I can give you a list of what I see, and it's a whole lot of not good. But God, what are you seeing about this? The second question, God, why do I respond the way that I do? And then God, what do you have to say about me? See, when I was going through all this with my dad, those three questions came up. God, what do you see? And God said, I don't, you see, self-pity. You see a negative experience, but I see an opportunity to bring restoration and healing to your family unit. And then I said, well, God, why am I responding this way? Why am I responding in these negative attitudes? And God said, because you're focused on your flesh, but I'm trying to get your spirit man resurrected. And then I said, God, but what do you have to say about me? And he said, well, I've chosen you and I've set you apart. And I have great things for you, but your flesh is in the way. And I got to get those things out of the way because I love you too much to let you stay in this mud of self-pity and pride. Number two, the second position. Position yourself to receive from Christ the fulfillment of your core longings. Position yourself to receive from Christ the fulfillment of your core longings. Now, when God created us, he placed inside of us some core needs or some core longings that really only he intended to fill. All right? These things, these are things like the need to feel safe and secure. We all need to feel safe and secure. To love and be loved. To have purpose and worth. To be appreciated and affirmed. To be nurtured. And of course, the need for God. When God created us, he placed in us, all all of us, the same core longings. And so we need to get these things met. Again, someone once said, that core longings are not the icing on the cake of life. They are the meat and potatoes. So we can't survive without them, not to the fullest that God has created us to. They are what lies in our innermost being where only God can fully access. And so when we don't receive those core longings, it leaves a deficit in our lives. We become 
emotionally, spiritually, mentally deficient when we don't have these core longings met. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, before they sinned in the garden, they had all their needs met by God. God fulfilled all of those core longings. But then once they sinned in the garden, that sin separated them from God and separated us from God, correct? Like God said, you have to leave the garden. And so even though they had to leave the garden, it didn't remove the core longings Even though they were separated from God, it didn't remove the core longings that God gave us. And so from Adam and Eve all the way down to us today, we have been putting expectations onto other things to fill those core longings. Things like other people. Things like your spouse. Things like... uh, your friends, people in your life, possessions, addictions, position, power. We use all of these things to to feel core longings and to feel core longing deficits in our life. But listen, y'all, these things are counterfeits. These things are counterfeits. They are things that Satan wants us to use to substitute or take God's place to fill those core longings. They're insufficient, they are temporary, and they will cost us. Think about it for a minute. They will cost you. Think about something that you have used to fill a person or a thing or an addiction that you have used to fill a core longing in your life, the core longing to be loved. What has that cost you? Another thing is that when those things take the place of God, they really become idols in our life. So how do I position myself to where God himself fills my core longings? First of all, think about how far these substitutes have gotten you. And think about how much they've cost you. Number two, then you relinquish them. You have to give up control, self-provision. And then you have to turn to the Lord and trust him to fill those core longings. For example, you know, for most of my life, because of experiences that I had throughout life, I felt a deficit of unconditional love and acceptance, affirmation, and the need for God. These were all deficits of core core longings in my life. Um, Performance was my substitute to get those core longings met. Um, Even in the ministry, ministry performance. Um, was huge for me to feel that core longing to be able to minister to people, to be able to do certain things as a pastor's wife. Um, And comparison was huge for me and held me hostage for a very long time. How far did that get me? 
never to the level of what others are myself have expected of me. I was disappointed in the results every time. Whether it was in others' eyes, and believe me, where those words came back to me, those opinions came back to me, or whether it was my own opinion of myself, it was never good enough. It cost me time. It cost me energy. It cost me emotional upheaval. It cost, it, it cost me the feeling of rejection. It cost me borderline sanity, insanity. And it cost me some relationships, some very uh, precious relationships because I, I kept people at a distance. So whenever I came to the understanding that only God could feel those core longings, um, as difficult as it was, I, I had to relinquish the job of self-filling the longings and I had to turn to the Lord um, so that he could fill those parts of me that were, that were hungry to be filled. And so, you know, it was painful because I had to let go of some things that were in my control, things that I was comfortable with. And you let go of something tangible to reach out to something that's intangible, right? So it can be very scary. But this is what God did for me. He reminded me of whenever I found out that... that I was pregnant for Olivia. We were not supposed to be able to have children. And so she was only seven weeks in the womb whenever I found out that I was pregnant. I didn't know if she was a boy or a girl. I didn't know what she would look like. I didn't know what she would be good at. I didn't know who she would grow up to be, what kind of person she would grow up to be. All I knew was that I loved her before I knew her. I loved her. She didn't have to earn it. She didn't have to perform. She didn't have to be a certain person. She didn't have to look a certain way. I loved her before all of that because she was mine. And then I sensed God's sweet voice tell me, Tanya, this is how I loved you. I loved you first. Before you could perform, before you were in the womb, I knew you and I set you apart. Before you could do anything, before you looked like anything, I loved you because you are mine. And so that word before just became so real to me. It's like no performance required. And so it was really at that moment that I felt I felt more love from God. I felt more affirmation from God. I felt more closeness to God than I had ever felt from a single person in my life. God filled those core longings. And that just really changed my mindset about performance. Yeah, about using performance to get those core longings met. 
Now, am I tempted to return to performance to fill my core longing? Absolutely. But now every time I'm tempted to, um, to go back there, sometimes I do dip my finger in there. I just, I'm just reminded of that experience that I had with God that day. And I realize that there's just nothing better than him when it comes to the filling of your core longings, right? When you experience God, nothing else, nothing else is better than that. There's a scripture that says um, in Psalm 34, verse 8, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I got to taste that day. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Sorry. All right. Number three. And this is a tough one. I think it's probably tough for all of us. Position yourself for self-acceptance. Position yourself for self-acceptance. Let me ask you a question. Why do we work so hard to be accepted by others while we hate ourselves? Why do we work so hard to be accepted by others while we hate ourselves? You know, self-acceptance is really key to living out of your true self. But there are two barriers of self-acceptance. Two barriers. Shame and self-judgment. Now, guilt is rooted in conviction. And guilt says, I made a mistake, but there is forgiveness. But shame is rooted in condemnation, and it says, I didn't make a mistake, I am a mistake, and there is not forgiveness. Shame says, I didn't do something. Shame says, there is something wrong with me. And that leads to self-rejection. And it also leads to self-judgment. Self-judgment says, I hate this about myself. Self-judgment is rooted in comparison. When you look at somebody else and you see something about them that you like or you want, then you tend to say, well, I hate this about myself. And typically it's because we're bound up in shame because of maybe something that we've, de- we've done and we're ashamed of. You know, we hate things about ourselves that we don't think measure up to others. Things like looks, age, ability. So how do I position myself for self-acceptance? Because that's really tough. First of all, lay down self-judgment no matter what those things are. Lay down self-judgment. Proverbs 18.21 says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. You know, Todd was talking about that just this past Sunday or Sunday before that. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. You know, and we, a lot of times we take the scripture and we refer to, refer it towards other people, but it, it can mean the same for us too, directed towards ourselves. 
that we can either speak life into ourselves or we can speak death into ourselves. Think about people who, who speak positively all the time. And think about people who constantly speak negatively about themselves. Think about someone that you know. You can tell. You can tell it. they wear it. They wear those words. So whenever I say lay down self-judgment, no matter what those things are, what I mean is quit saying I hate that about myself. Get it out of your vocabulary. Quit saying, I hate this about myself. And begin speaking God's truths into you. In the first person, I am beautiful. I am valuable. I am worth the weight. I am worth the weight. I am beautiful. Everything about me is beautiful and precious to God. From the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I am created in God's image. So when you judge yourself and you hate yourself, you know the Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So basically what that scripture is saying, to the degree that you love yourself will only be to the degree that you can love God and other people. There's no way around it. You can't say, I hate this about myself and say, but I love you, God, you're perfect. You're, you're, um, you're criticizing God's creation when you do things like that. So quit saying, I hate that about myself and begin to speak God's truth to you in the first person. I'm so guilty of that. I've been so guilty of that. And number two, lay down shame no matter what you've done. Lay down shame no matter what you've done. And this requires forgiving yourself. Forgiving yourself. Whenever I was looking at this, I was thinking about a scripture. And it's in John chapter 8 and verse 3. And it's about the woman caught in adultery. And it says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, they uh, those who heard it began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now listen to this part. It says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And so he said, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Now, Jesus here was talking about the people, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious people holding stones. But a lot of times, 
the people holding the stones are us. You know, the harshest punishments inflicted on us and the biggest stones usually thrown usually come from ourselves. We throw stones at ourselves. And so when I say lay down your shame, I'm saying put your stones down. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so we need to have the the same attitude of forgiveness that God has towards us. If you read in the Bible, there are multiple times that says that God is loving and compassionate, slow to anger, quick to forgive. And so we need to carry that same mindset towards us. And again, to the degree that we can do that for ourselves, we can do it for other people. You know, a lot of times we have trouble forgiving other people for what they've done to us because it's rooted in we can't forgive ourselves for some of the things that we've done. And so self-forgiveness is key to being able to move forward and live out of your true self. Yeah? So those three things, position yourself to fall upward. Yeah? Allow God, position yourself to receive God, to feel your core longings, to receive your uh, your core longings from God. And then the third one, position yourself for self-acceptance. You know, this is the thing. It's about moving upward so that God can move inward, so that we can move outward. And that's the position that God is wanting us to do, so that we can live out of our true self, secure in who we are in Christ. So I want to ask you a question. We're going to close, so if Maria's around, this is, this is the cue. Sorry about that. If you've written some words down, I want you to just relook at those words from the very beginning, those the word or words of you, how you defined yourself. And, and, and look at them and say, is this how God defines me or is this how I define me? Is this how I am allowing the world and culture to define me? Have you defined yourselves by the gifts that God has placed in you? Because honestly, we shouldn't even be defining ourselves by that. Our gifts, our gifts from God do not define us. We are a child of God that who who has placed gifts within us. So even defining ourselves by our gifts is not defining ourselves by God. And so I want to ask you, what has been the source, your source of defining yourself? Just think about that for a second. What has been your source of defining yourself? Has it been God, his word, and his truth? Or has it been the world, the culture, your peers, others' judgments of you, self-judgments, experiences have trials and suffering do they cause you to fall apart instead of fall upward when you go through a trial or suffering are you falling upward or are you falling apart 
that can be a determination of whether or not you're living out of your true self. Another question, what are you looking to other than to God to fill your core longings? What price are you paying for these substitutes? Are you being held hostage by shame and self-judgment? Are you ready to fall upward? Are you going through a situation, a trial, or suffering? And are you ready to fall upward? I just want you to ask the Lord, just if you don't mind, just close your eyes for a second and think about those questions. Is the Lord putting His finger on any one of those? showing you anything that's keeping your true self hostage. Will you give him permission to touch that part of you so that he can awaken your true self? ask you to just ask the Lord what do you have to say about me God who do you say that I am you know Jesus asked that question to the disciples and I believe he asked them who do you say that I am because when they had revelation of who he was then all of a sudden they had revelation of who they were and so ask Jesus who do you say that I am God stand with me now if you say Tanya I'm tired of falling apart I'm tired of living out of projected self tired of feeling insecure and broken battered I'm tired of feeling like a failure I just want to be secure in who I am in Christ and you you know right now that God is putting his finger on something that he's showing you something if that's you I just want to open up the altar tonight and I, I want to invite you as a symbol of falling upward come into God with that I want to invite you to just come to the altar and bring that thing to the Lord
Come on, God died, Jesus died so that we can have life. He came so that we can have life to the full. So let's make an exchange. So I know this can take some courage and it can be a fearful thing. It can be a scary thing. But I want you to start talking to God and saying, God, forgive me for hanging on to this substitute. Start talking to God saying, God, it's cost me this. It's cost me that. Begin to just confess the things that it's cost you to the Lord. It's cost me peace. It's cost me my my relationships. It's put a wedge between me and my spouse. It's put a wedge between me and a and a peer. It's kept me from joy. It's kept me from feeling secure. Come on, count the cost. And say, Lord, I give it to you. You are so much more valuable than what these things have cost you. it cost Jesus his life you are so much more valuable than what these things have cost you I want to invite the um, the altar workers to just come and pray for you and what I want them to do is I want them to pray for you I want you to, if you, if you feel the courage to let them know what is it you're coming to lay down here at the altar, let them pray with you in agreement that you will lay it down. And then I want them to pray over you that God will awaken your true self and that God will give you a truth about who he says that you are. And when God gives you that truth, I want you to tell that truth to the altar worker. The altar workers, y'all can come now. So I want you to tell them what you need prayer for. Let them pray for you. Pray that God would awaken your true self. And then ask God to give you a truth what he has to say about you and then share that truth with the altar worker confess it say it with your mouth God says I am thank you Jesus let me pray over you thank you Lord Jesus thank you Lord Jesus you know as we sing to the Lord I want you to know one thing that the Lord is always singing over us. We may leave here tonight and end this song, but I want you to remember that when you lie your head on your pillow tonight, 
the Lord is singing over you. Father, I just thank you for these ladies. I thank you for this time. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would breathe your life into them. That you would breathe your life into them. And that, Father, that you would awaken the true self that you have placed within them before they were even in their mother's womb. And that, Lord Jesus, as they come tomorrow morning, that they would feel a newness, a freshness, that they would feel awakened, their true self would feel awakened by your spirit and by your presence. And Lord, I pray that God, even tonight as they leave these doors, that they would continue, that you would continue to speak truth into them, God. Breathe life into them, God. I thank you for this night, and I thank you for this time, and I just pray a blessing over them, a blessing over them in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.